Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher. Now, I reckon I can't do this alone, so I got me a pretty lady to help. Joining me is the best cowgirl on the range, Lydia. I was so tempted to say yee-haw, but <laughs> I have some consideration. Hello, Lydia, and welcome. Well, thank you, Christopher. Before we go any further, I want to thank everyone for tuning in and make sure everyone knows that they can listen and subscribe to this show at all their favorite outlets, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music. You can go to podchaser.com or use the new Cephalopod app. Wherever you choose to listen to your podcast, if you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show. If you are a Facebook user, there is a group that you can join. And this is a great place to find out what we're going to be covering next and an easy place to leave any comments on the films or episodes. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Orphaned Entertainment. And there you can watch many of the films that we have covered here on the podcast. If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. All these links are on our webpage. Just go to orphanedentertainment.com. With that, let's listen to one of the five-minute mysteries and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we will saddle up and take a ride through the Painted Desert. Another five-minute mystery. Detective extraordinary. This is Oliver Edgerton. When a jewel collector calls a private detective, it only means one thing. Am I right? If you're referring to robbery, yes, but it's more than that. Can you come over? I'll make it a large fee. Open your door, client. I'll be there to greet you. I don't see the need of calling in a private detective, Mr. Edgerton. After all, I'm the investigator for the insurance company. That's the whole trouble, Maxwell. You've accused me of stealing my own diamond. Take it nice and slow, Mr. Edgerton. What's the rap? Last night, Mr. Sloan, my safe was broken into and one of my prized diamonds was taken. Anything else touched? That's the strange thing. Only this one diamond was stolen. You must be dealing with a maniac. Maxwell here is the investigator for the insurance company. He claims he has proof that I stole my own diamond so I could collect the insurance. Well, I have. It's the most preposterous charge I've ever heard. Your company, Maxwell, is just trying to get out of paying me the insurance. What's the proof you claim to have, Maxwell? This morning, after Mr. Edgerton phoned my company to report the robbery... I was sent out to investigate. Never mind the embroidery. What are the facts? I went into the garden and found footprints clearly outlined in the mud. You recall it rained last night. Yeah, I remember. Go ahead. I took plaster casts of the prints. Here they are. Very pretty. What's the next exhibit? See here, Sloan. Are you going to permit him to go on with this nonsense? I'm democratic. He's got a right to talk. While Mr. Edgerton was away this afternoon, I went to his bedroom and found this pair of shoes. You can see for yourself that they have mud all over the soles. Watch out, the mud's falling off. My biggest proof is this. The plaster cast I made in the garden this morning fits these shoes exactly. The prints in the garden lead directly to the library, where the safe is located. Those shoes were not in my closet this morning. I looked for them then. There's your proof, Sloan. Edgerton stole the diamond so he could collect the insurance on it. What did you do before you became an investigator for this insurance company, Maxwell? Huh? What's the idea of that question? Just wondering, that's all. Say, did you know it rained this afternoon? The prince in the garden must be gone. Yes, I know it rained. Will you stop discussing the weather, Mr. Sloan, and tell this man he's crazy? He's not crazy, Mr. Edgerton. He knows what he's doing. You didn't steal that diamond, and he knows it. What clue did Sam Sloan discover that proved Edgerton's innocence? In just a moment, we'll know, but first... Hello, 
I'm Jeff Sandwich. You might not know me, barely anyone does, except my mother and her cocker spaniel, Alan. But I have listened to every single movie podcast that has ever been made. I don't get out much, and sometimes I have to make toilet in a bottle. What did he just say, Marjorie? However, having completed this exhaustive research, it is my assertion that the After Movie Diner podcast, with its heady mix of comedy, movie banter, fandom, passion, beards, music, and voluminous thighs, is in fact the greatest movie podcast available anywhere, even Holland. Find the After Movie Diner podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, and AfterMovieDiner.com. Now, where's that bottle? And now, back to our story. You're talking through your hat, Sloan. Edgerton stole his own diamond. You manufactured your own pony-proof, Maxwell. Edgerton's shoes can't possibly be the ones that made those prints in the plastic hat. You see, any good investigator knows that anyone walking in mud makes a bigger impression than that of his shoes. The fact that the shoes and prints match proves that Edgerton never walked in that garden. You got hold of his shoes, made plastic casts, and then put some mud on them to make it look real. You didn't want to pay the insurance, Maxwell, but you'll have to pay a lot more. A comfortable, long jail sentence. Desert is a 1931 film produced by Path Exchange, and this is one of the last films produced by Path uh, before it was taken over by RKO Radio Pictures. It was directed by Howard Higgin, who also co-wrote the screenplay with Tom Buckingham. It stars William Boyd in his pre-Hopalong Cassidy days and Helen Twelve Trees, and also features a young Clark Gable in his talking film debut. The film was shot largely in the actual Painted Desert, which is a United States desert of badlands in the Four Corners area of Arizona, running from near the east end of the Grand Canyon National Park and, and running southeast into the Petrified Forest National Park. The Painted Desert is known for its brilliant and varied colors that not only include the more common red rock, but also shades of lavender. The Painted Desert was named by an expedition under Francisco Vasquez de Coronado on his 1540 quest to find the seven cities of Cabola. Passing through the wonderland of colors, the expedition named the area El Deserto Pintato, which is probably a terrible pronunciation in Spanish, <laughs> but anyway, it means the Painted Desert. The film's production here was marred by several very unfortunate events, including the death of the young child while on set. The cause of death was not released. And also several, uh, maybe as many as 40 actors and crew, including director Howard Higgin, were seriously injured in a dynamite explosion when the charge went off early during filming. Wow. And two crew members lost their lives. There are several action scenes that were filmed and cut from the original negative of this film by RKO when they reused them in their remake of the movie in 1938. These include extended cuts of the stampede early in the film, the hijacking of the ore shipment, and scenes of the mine explosion and subsequent landslide. Despite the scenes existing in other films, none of the home video releases over the years have reunited them with the original film. The plot centers on two traveling cowboys, Jeff and Cash, who while riding through the desert stumble on a baby who has been apparently orphaned and there's no explanation as to why. Did you? I, I thought maybe that it was orphaned after some sort of an attack by somebody, but there's no evidence of that. I, no. Even watching the second time, I thought I'd pick up, oh, was did he pick up an arrow or something? But no, he picks up and shows like a rope that's been cut. Yeah, no, it's just, uh, it literally says an abandoned camp. So, I mean, I, I, I assume they're implying the engines got him. But. That was my assumption as well. But honestly, the way that plays out in the film, uh, maybe we'll get into this when we actually start talking about the movie and I'll finish the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Jeff and Cash decide to care for this child themselves. When the two can't agree on whether it's best to stake their claim at a large watering hole or strike out to find their success elsewhere, the two split up and like a messy divorce, the child is caught in the middle. 
Cash ends up with custody, and a lifelong rift is created between the two men. We catch up with them years later. Jeff makes his living charging passing herds of cattle for time at the watering hole, and Cash, a successful rancher. The child, Bill, played by William Boyd, is all grown up and discovers tungsten on Jeff's land. He knows that his adoptive father has the means to mine for the ore if he and Jeff can agree to work together. Neither men will agree, and Cash goes so far as disowning Bill for even suggesting it and interfering. Bill and Jeff go at it alone and start up the mine. Bill is also motivated to spend some time with Jeff after he meets Jeff's grown daughter, Mary Ellen, played by Helen Twelvetrees. Complications arise when a ranch hand of Jeff's, Rance Brett, played by Clark Gable, who also has eyes on Mary Ellen, takes a dislike to Bill and does all he can to rekindle the wedge between the two families. Now, we spoke about William Boyd a little when we covered 1929's High Voltage back in September in 2018, so you can jump back and hear what we had to say about them. Helen Twelvetrees is a name that I thought had come up in our discussions, but I can't find any film that she was in. Oh, But I know that name. And that, well, yeah, not that we've covered. Obviously, she was in a lot of films. Right, well, she was sure. in several films. But that that is funny because I had thought it sounded familiar, too. But I wonder if maybe it was just a different 12 trees. I'm guessing not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if she just her name came up as just a peripheral that she worked with somebody else or it started alongside someone that we did discuss. Yeah, that's possible. Well, she was an American actress who was born Mary Ellen Jurgens. She married actor Clark Twelvetrees and adopted his surname and then used it as a professional name for the remainder of her career. Her career started as a stage actress but moved to Hollywood as the talkies were taking over and many female silent film stars could not transition for a variety of reasons. She worked for Fox, Path, and RKO before leaving the studios and working freelance. She largely left film in the 40s and spent the remainder of her life touring the world with her third husband, an Air Force captain. Clark Gable, as I mentioned, is in this film. He was born and raised in Ohio, which I was not aware of. He began his career as an extra in silent films, and he progressed to a supporting actor level. And his first lead role came in 1931 alongside Joan Crawford, who requested him for the part in the film's Dance Fool's Dance. He won the Academy Award for Best Actor for Frank Capra's It Happened One Night in 34, and was nominated for the award for Mutiny and the Bounty in 1935, and of course as Red Butler and Gone with the Wind in 1939. Gable appeared opposite some of the most popular actresses of their time. Joan Crawford was a favorite actress of his to work with, and he partnered with her in eight films. Myrna Loy worked with him seven times, and he was paired with Gene Harlow in six films. He also starred with Lana Turner in four features and three each with Norma Shearer and Ava Gardner. He would become one of the most famous and recognizable Hollywood stars, often referred to as the King of Hollywood. He would end up appearing in over 60 films uh, over his 37-year career and nearly all of them as a leading man. Gable was one of the most consistent box office performers in history, and the American Film Institute named him the seventh greatest male movie star of classic American cinema. Who was number six? (laughs) I knew you were going to ask, so I looked it up. Clark Gable is just under a reverse order here. Number six would be Henry Fonda. Okay. Number five was Fred Astaire. Number four was Marlon Brando. Number three, James Stewart. Number two... Cary Grant, and can you guess who the number one is that they have? I couldn't. <laughs> Humphrey Bogart. Really interesting. How interesting. Yes. They, William Powell must be on there somewhere. I'm guessing. David Niven, probably not. I know, I know. Oh, <laughs> hear my heart breaking, but... <laughs> I, I, I just closed the tab. I should have yeah. kept it open to see who else was under them. It's interesting. It'd be interesting just to talk about that sometime. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, as many times as the uh, AFI information has come up, uh, maybe we ought, to, we ought to have just a discussion on some of their lists. <laughs> yep, reference <laughs> the them. Greatest actor yeah, lists. See yeah, see what they were in before they were known. 
So yeah, there's a lot of little neat little uh, information and bits and pieces about this film and the actors with them. Uh, we discussed a little bit about 12 Trees sounding familiar. I know she's come up before, <laughs> but no idea. Clark Gable, I this is one of the reasons that I love doing this show is because you get to see someone like Clark Gable, who we all know as like Rhett Butler. We know as Clark Gable, leading man. And here he is just doing his duty. I mean, he's just um, taking his lumps, working for the studio. Here's an extra, just probably what, maybe 15 minutes of screen time in this film? Yeah, at the most. (laughs) Yeah, a key player, but certainly not a main role. Right. I think that's so interesting when you think that the star of the film is William Boyd and a lot of people today would go, William who? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But but they probably know Clark Gable or know of Clark Gable. Yeah. And I was surprised, of course, whatever listing we were looking at mentioned, it's got Clark Gable in it. So I, when he appeared on screen, I was like, oh, okay, he's going to be the main guy in it. Nope, not the main guy. And I was like, oh, wait, what happened? (laughs) Okay, this is, it's, it's, yeah, the, yep, weird. (laughs) It's weird. (laughs) It's disappointing to hear some of the, uh, the darker elements of the, you know, the accidents that they had on set. And then the unfortunate, I mean, the death of, they actually have a very young child who couldn't be more than, what, two or something like that when they, very young. And the fact that, you know, the poor thing died, you know, uh, during filming, Uh, like, geez, that's. Crazy, yeah, yeah, that is so weird. And then the not and the cause of death not released, and I'm like, uh, yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, there are, of course there are other things at the time that would have been that people would have been, you know, it, illnesses and things that people would have been really upset about if they read them in the newspaper. But oh, it sure. always. When they don't mention it, of course, our minds always go immediately to foul play or negligence or something horrible like that. But well, and you have to wonder they're actually filming in the Arizona desert. Mm. You're, I'm guessing, you know, daytime temperatures. Oh and there yeah. Probably there was certainly no like watchdog groups that were mm-hmm. saying, okay, the kid can only be out for five minutes at a time, yeah. and then he has to be in the shade. And, and actually, I think the and I should say the the child too was actually female, although plays a oh. male but the, it was a little girl oh. interesting how very interesting yeah could I, could be anything that's interesting sad yeah very sad let's see what did i want to talk about when we get into the film oh uh the two men when they find the child and yeah they don't give any indication as to what happened to you know they they find a wagon and a camp the fire is still smoking but no one's around and you wonder they could have just as easily actually kidnapped this child. Maybe the parents are just over the ridge scouting ahead. <laughs> For yeah, well, I mean, you have to, you have to assume. Yeah, you mentioned no watchdog groups. You know, even in the 1800s, people I think didn't tend to just leave their baby hanging out in the wagon while they went somewhere. I, I mean, oh, kids died from falling off things all the time back then. Remember that? Well, he's asleep. He's. We're, let's just go up over here, and we'll just make sure, and we'll see if we can find some water or something like that, and then Cash but, and Jeff ride up, and oh, there's a baby. Let's take it. <laughs> but there, there also were no pack animals, no, no wagon uh, animals, nothing like that's that. That's a good point. So it's not as if you know the whole wagon was there and somebody just wandered away for a minute. I'm sure that would have produced a different situation. But I mean, that's still a valid point. Maybe something happened. The animals ran off in the night. They went out to collect them. They come back. They're baby's gone I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what the heck <laughs> this is, these guys yeah i there's there's definitely a big glaring question hanging for this situation but uh that's, what that's we for call the it sequel. yeah the sequel but painted I mean, we call desert it the revenge the right. revenge of the parents <laughs> but we call it suspension of disbelief for a reason you're not supposed to ask <laughs> just exactly. accept it. Just, you know, just move on, cover your ears, hum a little bit, pr- pretend it never happened. <laughs> One of the things that struck me, it really stood out in that scene, it actually, it, several times throughout the film, but it, really at that moment in that scene is the difference in how films are made, especially in the 30s compared to today. Because there is, outside of the opening credit music, 
there's no music. There's no music. Yeah. And so they ride up and they're just, there's no dialogue. They're staring at each other. They hear a baby cry. They lift it down. There's no, you know, (laughs) no swelling music, nothing. You're just kind of sitting there going, I feel uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And they have the, the, the action music later on. I think, I think there's action music later on, but that's a valid point. Maybe it's in my head (laughs) when, you know, (laughs) when they're, having some kind of um jumping way way ahead when you know there's an issue with people uh robbing the mule train running the mule train you know off the trail and stuff like that i have it in my head that there's music then but now that i'm thinking about it i don't think there is maybe there was but there was some definitely no music in the more subtle moments yeah where you would expect there to be no score for sure yes yes and and i noticed that too it's almost uh it's almost harsh going from the introduction music to then in the fully you know it's 1931 fully is not excellent at this point so you get a little bit of shuffling that kind of reflects footsteps maybe but you don't have so many of the things that we take for granted now, just background noise, birds, the wind, things like that. It's just like, it's like studio silent, except for just a little bit here and there. And yeah, it is, it is very, it's interesting how much impact just a little bit of sound makes or doesn't make. It doesn't make because when it's not there, it's it's like the silence is deafening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) as they say. Exactly. I have to admit, you know, we've got uh, Cash and Jeff who find this child and they decide they're going to raise it themselves or take care of it for at least the time being or whatever. I was a little disappointed we didn't get more of the rough and tough cowboys raising the baby. (laughs) You were hoping for a comedy. I think we were both expecting a little bit of a comedy, though, because the idea of two cowboys finding a baby and deciding to raise it, that that's the start of a joke, right? Two cowboys find a baby and decide to raise it. What's the punchline? But it's not a comedy at all. There's no comedy. Well, there's there's some, quote, comedy, unquote, in the movie. But this is not a comedic story. No, no, no. There is some humor and there's some humor between the, the, the two men and, and the men with the, the kid and, you know, trying to get the shirt on the baby. The baby's not cooperating and, you know, silly stuff like that. Well, what are we going to feed it? Oh, a little bit of oatmeal gruel, a little bacon grease will do okay. You know, <laughs> <laughs> one tries this. Here, drink this coffee. Don't give him that. <laughs> was it coffee? I thought it was something a little stronger. Oh, maybe. <laughs> he did say it'll put hair on your chest. Right. <laughs> But yeah, I I was surprised that we didn't get more than really two scenes with the men with the with the child. And it I mean, seeing the two guys, gruff-looking guys, these are big, you know, they look like cowboys. Like you imagine a cowboy, you know, out on the range, dirty hat, you know, the the scarf around the handkerchief around their neck and everything. And they're holding the baby like literally in the palm of their hand, yes. you know, holding it up and everything. And you kind of look at that and you think that's that's really a kind of adorable. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and this is a little gruesome, but maybe they didn't have more scenes because the child wasn't around to film them. Uh, oh, right. It's very. I'm sorry for being so gruesome, but I just thought of it, and it, yeah. it's a real possibility that they, you know, they were like planning other scenes, but then. You know, we can't bring another kid out of here let's, after that. Let, let's jump it ahead in time a little sooner than we yeah, planned. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was interesting. I thought that, you know, it starts off with a little bit of a, a diary kind of saying, you know, we're out in the painted desert. And then they have this m- moment with this baby. And then they have a little bit of the diary again. Looks like after all these years, we're going to have a, you know, it's coming down to a showdown between me and him. But it was interesting. Then they kind of drop it off. You don't get any any more insights at all to him. There's kind of a it it felt weird. It felt like you didn't need that. Only I suppose they hadn't really gotten to voiceovers yet. They hadn't really gotten to narration in film yet. Sure. Actually, I suppose that's true. I can't think of any films that we've watched from this era that had like ver- spoken narration. That's yeah, I, don't, interesting. I can't think of any that we've seen yet. No. Yeah, that is really interesting. Here, take a swig of this, Bill, to put hair on your chest. Don't be giving that maverick poison, and don't be calling him Bill. Once and for all, Cash Holbrook, 
We're a-calling him Daniel Boone Cameron. And once and for all, Jeff Cameron, we're a-calling him Buffalo Bill Holbrook. I've put up with your bullheadedness about long enough. Bullheadedness? Me? Why, you hammer-headed old mule. You're as stubborn about branding that yearling as, as you I... are about wanting to settle down here at this measly water hole. Water means a grubstake in this country, Cash. We're a staying right here. No. We ain't. You are. Grubstake's just about as far as you can see. I'm heading west till I hit grazing land. I've put up with your stubbornness ever since we started out, Jeff. Now I'm done with you. If you're heading west, seems to me you'd best get it going. Now then, I'll take Dan. Bill's are going with me. Oh, no, he ain't. He's too smart for you, Holbrook. He's a Cameron, and he knows where he belongs. He's a bit young to know what a pig-headed old hyena you are, Cameron. But I'll learn him. What we have, though, or what happens you know, between these two guys, we only have everyone else's word that these guys have been buddies for years. <laughs> Which is, you know, you're assuming they're friends because they're riding together. And then, so when they finally come to, to kind of button heads over no let's stay here with the water no i'm gonna keep going until i can find a place that i can you know raise cattle and there's this it almost comes out of you feel like it's coming out of left field well because it's like you're getting you're getting there's no you're getting a payoff but there's no build-up <laughs> yes that is true it mentions real briefly in that first little introductory journal page you know we've been writing for four months for out of the east you know writing west for four months now we're at the painted desert and i guess i kind of just assumed that they had met up and decided to ride west together so they knew each other maybe for four months but i suppose that wouldn't really account for them having this ongoing feud you know based on you know, fighting over this kid after just knowing each other for four months. seems like you'd get over that pretty quickly if you only knew the guy for four months. So it mm-hmm. it almost, you know, it's almost required that they've been friends for a really long time to then hate each other so much over this one issue. Well, and there's, there's lines later in the film that, you know, there was a time where you would have, I don't remember, you know, effectively you would have given the shirt off your back to, mm-hmm. to Jeff Hol- to Cash Holbrook or, Jeff Cameron, whichever way it went. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple lines from to both of them at different occasions talking about how they have this this past and this history and you know this best friend kind of relationship. Yeah. And we only have the film later on, once the rift is between them now they're not talking to each other, that it, everyone tells us yeah. that they used to be great friends. <laughs> Thanks for telling us, guys, because otherwise we wouldn't have known. <laughs> right. Yeah, so the whole scene with them uh, breaking up effectively, and the and 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 the one taking the kid, uh, claiming he's going to be the better father between the two. I don't know. I I wasn't. I guess I wasn't satisfied with it. <laughs> it yeah, it was abrupt. Mm-hmm. But I suppose the, I suppose it was just stage setting for the for the feud really it wasn't the important part of the film so they you know right i suppose so the breakup wasn't the focus right them having broken up them having the feud was the focus so you had to get to there and quickly because they only got what 80 minutes (laughs) (laughs) i think it's all 75 yeah (laughs) yeah especially with all the action scenes cut out apparently oh my goodness you don't notice it early on but you definitely notice it, like on the. Uh, that's jumping ahead a little bit, but you definitely notice it when you get to the uh, the hijacking of the ore shipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get you see guys riding to the riding to the uh, uh, the wagons, and then you see some guys showing up all dusty. Oh, they stole it. Yes. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's uh, there are definitely a couple of jumpy little bits in this. It's such a typical sort of Western settlers story. You got the two families, you got the feud going, you get the Romeo and Juliet, you know, the two kids fall for each other. They got to figure out a way to make it all work, you know, and it's just there. 
it's hard to talk about this movie without just telling you, you know, line by line what happens because it's a story everybody knows. It's not it, you know, I'm sure it helped make that story very commonly known. Yeah, I was going to say the uh, you got the two men and there's a rift. Okay, fine. And you you meet uh, Bill. There's there's talk about, you know, the one's bringing the cattle, doesn't want to use the watering hole, but he has to and everything. And then, you know, we've got the scene at the, uh, I guess at the, well, I already forget which one stayed behind at the watering hole. Was that Jeff? Yeah, Yeah, Jeff Cameron. So we got Jeff there and everything. And he's like, Mary Ellen, come out here. And Helen, (laughs) Helen Twelve Trees comes out. And I'm like, oh, I know where this movie's going. What year to the ground? Cattle. Yep. You see, I was right, Mary Ellen. When I seen that big ornery Bill Holbrook riding the ridge this morning, I figured that him and his old man was up to something. Dad, them two are just alike. Meaner and two rattlers. Cash Holbrook ruined the boy, Mary Ellen. He was a likely young'un when I found him. Well, Dad, if they think they're going to water cattle here tonight, here's two Winchesters say they ain't. I shadow up to the eyebrows. She's wearing pants, which I was like, wow, girl wearing pants, like not in the 30s, but girl wearing pants in an 1800s movie in the 30s. Well, oh. yeah, but she's working, she's working the ranch, so she's gonna, she can't be running around in a dress. Oh, yeah, she could. I could do it. <laughs> she's a tom. She's kind of a tomboy. Yes. Well, it's just the two of them, and it, you know, and it does say they've had a rough time that, you know, Cash has had all of the, all the, all of the good fortune and Cameron's down to his last nickel. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, it makes sense that she'd be out there roughing it with her dad. Going to have to actually admit when she makes her appearance in that doorway, I was kind of like, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's cute. <laughs> oh, she's, yeah, she's, she's actually yeah, very beautiful. Yeah. She is. She starts off looking really normal. And then at some point they do a flip and they put some real heavy 1920s makeup on her and you go, wait, what? is this the same girl? Like, why is she suddenly looking? Oh, yeah. When they, um, when they, they city fire, so she can go into town to go to school and she's wearing the full dress and everything. It's kind of like, I liked it better in the pants and the flannel. Yeah. Without the crazy (laughs) makeup going on. Well, and it's interesting because she starts out and these first, you know, the first five minutes you see her when she's there and she's got the gun and she's going to shoot it out with her dad. You know, she's going to keep the, trespassers at bay and she's so tough and she's so you know stolid and then as soon as bill as soon as bill holbrook who's william boyd rolls up and he does one nice thing one nice thing and she's all of a sudden oh thank you so much. I'm so sorry. I mean, pardon, pardon the mimicry, but Oh, I hope you'll forgive me for how I thought about you. Well, there's this man out there that's, you know, you think he's a mean man, but I think he's real nice. Oh, nobody's ever explained it to me so clearly. She goes to Idiotville. Like she turns into <laughs> Idiotville, and I'm, I just, I was like, oh man, this girl's gonna be so cool. I'm really excited. And then the minute she, like, the minute that they start hitting it off, she just turns into like floozy. And I was like, really? Is this? <sighs> is this the same girl? Is this really the same girl? Because, oh, <laughs> I, she, she goes from being somebody that's determined and. You know, at least she's determined to just being somebody that's just like, oh, will somebody please lead me around by the hand? Because my hair just turned blonde. I don't really know what's going on with my life. (laughs) Well, it must be uh, something magical about uh, Bill Holbrook because by about because just prior to this, we meet uh, Clark Gable's character, Rance Brett. Hey, where you are? What do you want here? Water. I can use some. My name's Rance Brett. Had to shoot my horse today, prairie dog hole. This is the first water I've seen since. I don't know this country. You don't know Cash Holbrook, neither, I suppose. Who? Who's this uh, Holbrook you're talking about? You never heard of him, I... Miss, I'm from Montana. I'm headed New Mexico way. What was your name in Montana? 
Brett. Same as here. I'm headed New Mexico way. At least I was. While I had a horse. Seems like I'd stepped into something here, mister. Might be you'd care to enlighten me, what? She doesn't give him a second look. She would just as soon shoot him because she thinks he's part of the yeah. part of this uh, uh, group bringing in the cattle or whatever. Mm-hmm. So even after he explains that he's not, and she's just like, "Yeah, whatever. Yeah, get your drink, and I'm going to keep my gun on you." Yeah. <laughs> well, did you catch too? There's the moment after that when they're riding up on the ridge to you know keep the Holbrook boys off of their property, and uh, and he rides over to say something to her, and he puts his hand on hers, and and says, you know, don't don't take any unnecessary risks or something. And when he takes his hand away, she's just like, oh, a boy touched my hand. <laughs> like she does have like a moment where she's like, oh wait, there are men in the world? Like, mm. but she still doesn't suddenly go into, oh, it's so kind of you to be concerned about me. Like, she doesn't just totally go floozy all of a sudden. Doesn't start fluttering her eyes. Yeah. And, yeah. So it must be love, because love makes you a moron. So yeah, we'll just have right. to go That must with. be it. <laughs> we'll just have to go with that. <laughs> uh, William Boyd, Bill Holbrook shows up. He managed, let's see, he actually is the one that causes the cattle to, it chases them off away from the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's not a showdown between the two men. So kind of saving them from themselves. Yes. And then also he wants to talk to uh, Jeff because for some reason he's been on his land <laughs> and has discovered tungsten. <laughs> like you do. Or, you go on to the, per- the person that hates you the most. You go next door to your neighbor that's been coming over yelling at you for months and you just go sneak around at night and dig in their backyard to see if they got any tungsten back there. <laughs> well, yeah, because apparently uh, Cash sent him to mining school. <laughs> yeah, you know, which makes sense because <laughs> so they live on the prairie. Right, so they, he comes back and he's, he's got he's got to use what he learned. <laughs> so he sneaks out. This is the weirdest movie. <laughs> the more we're talking about it, the less sense it makes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good thing he went to mining school. Otherwise, he wouldn't have recognized that as tungsten. With possible gold and silver streaks in it, by the way. Yeah, it just looked like rock to me. But, <laughs> you know, he knows, he, know, he knew best. He knows what he's talking about. Yep, because he went to mining school. And the whole idea is that it's on his land, but obviously... Jeff doesn't have the means or, you know, the money or the means to mine it. But Cash does because he's been a successful rancher. And his name is Cash. Yeah, it's it's in his name. So if they get the two to work together, but they won't have it. And I thought it was really interesting that Cash, at the very idea of it, actually disowns um, Bill. Tells him, I'm, I'm going to bed. You best not be here when I wake up. Well, I mean, like, we all do that to our wow. kids, right? You know what? Yeah, you that's... want me to be friends with somebody I don't like? That's it. Get out of my house. Right. Yeah, that's, some, that's some tough love. <laughs> that's, the, that's the natural parenting response, isn't it? <laughs> she said sarcastically. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is a lot of, and then this happened. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of motivation for that to happen. It just does. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So, Cash disowns Bill. Bill goes back to Jeff. They get a loan from the bank. Bill explains to Jeff what happened. And next thing you know, there's a mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's because he went to mining school. He can put one up overnight. <laughs> yeah. That's what they teach you in obviously time. Obviously, time has passed. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Full bore mine. Like a full, like huge with, with mine carts. Right. And like, I forget how much they were. The bank was promised. It was, you know, 200 tons tons or something. It's a load 14 tons. No, it's 16 tons. Darn it. No. Well, he says, they say at 1.7 tons is at the bottom of, quote, seven tons is at the bottom of that gulch, something to that effect. And that was one or two of the two or four wagons that went. It was one of the two wagon trains or wagon Mm. mule trains that went out. So, yeah, um, lots of tons. 
Yes, many, many tons of ore. So, yes, lots of time has passed, apparently. Apparently. Uh, so we, but during that time, we see them, apparently, they've been able to mine all this ore out and load it up. And also, apparently, during that time, Bill and Mary Ellen have built a relationship between each other. We don't really see it blossoming. It, we just kind of see it at the end of well, the relationship. It, it happened, and then it happened. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and Rance is still around and annoyed at Bill and Mary Ellen's Which relationship. Which surprises me. You get really clearly from the very beginning, when Rance sees Mary Ellen, he wants Mary Ellen. You get that. That's very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, what surprises me is that when he didn't get a pretty quick response from Mary Ellen, he sticks around and when she right. starts mooning over this new guy that's shown up, he just quietly stays there. Like, he doesn't do anything about it. He didn't confront him. He didn't start chasing her down. And, in fact, when she's getting on the tra- on the wagon to go to town to go to school, because she's now 28 and needs to go to school to learn how to read, um, they, they, he just sits there and they're like, aren't you going to say goodbye to her? No, she doesn't care. Do you even hear for like a year and a half now? This mine has been going for a while. And he's just, it's it, it, for the kind of guy that they present him as, it's a little bit odd that he, A, has stuck around and B, this hasn't come to a head yet. Well, he doesn't take it to Bill, but he decides, haha, I'll get my revenge and sabotage the mine. Because then that happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you do when, when somebody else is wooing the girl that you like. You destroy their workplace. <laughs> it's right. You yeah. burn down the building <laughs> and you don't tell them about it. Because <laughs> that's clearly going to make her not love him anymore and love you instead. That's I mean, that's what you do, you know? Take the red stapler yep, and burn down the building. <laughs> this is one of those strange films that you sit and watch. And if you don't think about it, you're like, well, yes. this, is, you know, this is a 1930s Western. Yes. It's not bad. It's got some decent, it's got some fun characters. It's okay and everything. <laughs> and as soon as you actually start thinking about what happens... You go, wait. This doesn't make what? any sense at all. <laughs> no. Well, not, uh, it, it, I mean, literally, okay, let's think about this now. Now, Jeff and Bill took out a loan from the bank so that they could get the mine going. That makes sense. They worked for months and months, maybe a year or more, to get this mine mm-hmm. going. It's successful. They've now got the shipment together to send the ore off to pay back the bank loan. Okay, good. So... Rance decides that the best part are I'm 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 gonna actually spoil the movie if I keep talking. Do we care if I spoil the movie? I, I think this one I think it's probably gonna be safe we, to, to spoil. We're gonna it. spoil yeah. it. So Rance decides that the best thing to do is actually to sabotage repaying the bank. Because I guess Mary Ellen won't love Bill if he's not a mine owner. Because she's that kind of girl. You can tell by the makeup. Well, she does say, I suppose to be fair, she does say early on, or he does say early on, I think Jeff says to her, you know, you can finally have all the things you always wanted. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe we're meant to have picked up from that one line that she is a money-grubbing gold digger. And yeah, she's really not going to love Bill if he's, t- I know, right? You're, you're just shaking yeah. your head. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, just shaking my head. <laughs> Yeah, no, Rant's motivation for all the, for doing what he does is just ridiculous cuz A, why? And and <laughs> and, and B, why? <laughs> this is where he's working. Yes. I mean, this is his source of income as well. It, see, and it would make sense if he set up a a plot to get rid of Bill cuz then he could marry Mary Ellen, she'd inherit the mine, he'd be rich. They'd be together. It would all make sense. It doesn't make sense to destroy the mine. It makes sense to destroy Bill, but not the mine. But he goes right. for the mine. Right. And Bill is nowhere to be seen. He's not anywhere near the mine when he decides to destroy it because Rance has set up a, a hijacking of the ore. Bill was already in town, wasn't he? Bill was... Oh, so no, Bill was back at the... at the. Um, he was running the, the mine. second load into town. When the mind blows oh, up. That's right. Right. Bill 
was at the mine when the first load is hijacked, which also Rance was responsible and for. And presumably there. <laughs> yeah. Presumably for, hijacking for, it. For some reason. Um, and the news gets back to Bill, and Bill takes a second load, and he's gone, and he's, he's in town when the mine is destroyed. Yeah, so at no point is Bill ever in danger... <laughs> from rants maybe maybe the answer is so simple we're overlooking it maybe the <laughs> fact is rance is actually just madly in love with mary ellen and so he's just a full-on idiot <laughs> and he's just thinking no i can't there's nothing i i can't even finish that i th- i started off thinking there must be a reason that if he just is so crazy about her he does these things thinking that she'll get together with him I can't think of a single one. Well, and since we decided we're not going to worry about spoils and everything, as confusing as all that is, I've watched the film twice, and I still, both times, get really confused about what the heck is going on on the last 15, 20 minutes of the film with, you know, shares of the mind being <laughs> written to this, and that's going to give them rights to the well, but though that's not the way that, no, I'm not going to let him do that. And suddenly, you know, cash and Jeff are out look walking around the town gunning for each other. <laughs> All right. What so, the heck is going on? I, think I can explain it. Put on some goofy music and give me about 60 seconds. Ready? Go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go, yeah. So Jeff has done everything he can his entire life to keep cash from getting the water because he feels like cash stole bill. And so he deserves the water. He therefore has kept bill away from being allowed to have his cattle water at the only water hole between his ranch and the train station for 20 years. So what happens is Rance convinces everybody that cash is the one doing all of this espionage, sabotage. That's the word that I wanted. So when it, when they run out of money and it, they decide that they they can't... Okay, so they, they run out of money, but Bill saves the day because he runs another load into town. But when he gets into town, he finds out that the mine's been blown up and there's no mine anymore. So they really are broke. They're not going to have any money because obviously you can't rebuild a mine. Wah, wah. So... <laughs> so... <laughs> but, so... Cash says, you know what? I'm going to give all my money to you because you really are still my son and I still love you. And Bill says, you know what? As a payment for that, just to say thank you, I'm going to give you half of my shares in the mine. So now you're a quarter owner, which Cash then goes, if I'm a quarter owner in the mine, I'm a quarter a quarter owner in the water too. So now I get to go water my cattle at the water. Water. Two times the same water in the same sentence. But Jeff still hates Cash. So Jeff decides that Bill has intentionally set up this entire thing just to sell him out to Cash. So he goes looking for Cash to kill Cash. When Cash finds out that Jeff is looking for him with a gun in his hand, he's like, well, I'm not going to get shot first. So he takes the gun out too and starts looking for Jeff. And that's what happens. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I think... I think maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention. <laughs> it is convoluted. It's it and it's it, there's a bit of it's a bit muddled because there's so much as you said and then that happened in this movie that you don't see where like you don't see Rance going and telling Jeff, "Oh, Bill sold you out to cash," you know, even though we know that that happened, you don't see the conversation. So there are big gaps in the storytelling where if if you are paying extremely close attention and I think probably if you have a wild imagination like somebody in this conversation might have, <laughs> just like an over the top leaping to conclusions uh imagination, then you, I think they I think it all pulls together, but they leave these big gaps in the exposition and these big gaps in people meeting up with each other and these big gaps in, in conversations and changes of heart where, you know, the only real moment that you get in this, in this entire movie, that's like a touching moment is when cash is saying everybody in town believes I did this, but do you believe I did it, do it? Or do you believe I did it? And Bill says, no, I don't. And Cash has this big change, you know, this big change of heart toward him. And that's the only emotional moment we see in the entire movie. Even though there are moments that we would like to have seen between Rance and Mary Ellen, between Mary Ellen and Bill, um, between Jeff and Cash early on in their relationship. There's a lot of gaps of 
explanation. So it's reasonable to watch the last 15 minutes of this and go, wait, why did that guy just punch that guy? And wait, why are those two guys looking? This doesn't make any sense. Aren't they supposed to be getting married right now? Why does he think that he won't go to the wedding? What is, why? And, and, and what is the smoke monster anyway? Where did it come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, I, I think there's even a moment where we don't see Rant telling anybody we hear from someone else tolling Bill, hey, I was at the saloon and I heard Rance tell Cash or Jeff some information. I'm like, well, why didn't we de- why didn't we see that? <laughs> yeah, it it's weird. It's like they're trying to make Rance's involvement a mystery, which makes sense up to a point. But at the point where Rance is obviously going off to tattle on Bill, that conversation should be on screen. It's interesting that they took scenes from this movie out of this movie and used them in a later movie because there are so means many scenes missing in this movie that I don't think they had any to spare, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, they didn't cut out any scenes with the actual actors in them. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> but did it help? <laughs> Then you could almost like give it an excuse. Oh, well, that was that cut been. and put somewhere else. No, unfortunately, I don't think they did any no, of that. I don't think so um, either. <laughs> there, there was, I thought, at least one more other touching scene towards the very, very end. There was the moment you know, that uh, Cash and Jeff are gunning for each other. They see each other. They turn to shoot, and Bill steps between them and takes a bullet in the shoulder and, and goes down. And the two men go to him. And they, they go to, <laughs> I actually did kind of like that line from Bill. Like he looks at his shoulders and says, I don't know which one of you got me, but you <laughs> both are both terrible shots. shots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but the two men and, and one, uh, Jeff looks at, at, at the other man and says, will you, will you help me with the boy? And Cash says the, one of the lines he, he was saying earlier in the film, whenever they were dealing with oh, the right. young says- Bill as a child, he's like, you know I will, Cash. I and, totally forgot. And, and they grasp, and they grasp their hands real tightly behind Bill's back as they help him up. And like, that's actually, that's a nice little payoff yeah. there. I I really like that scene. I mean, because now we've seen the entire film of these two men fighting each mm-hmm. other, to to see them come together over their injured, you know, this un- injured man who they both Care think of as a yeah. son. That was that was a good moment. It me it makes a lot more it's a lot more impactful too when you point out that they had said that earlier in the movie. I had actually forgotten. Mm-hmm. And I watched the movie a couple times, but I had forgotten that line. Right. So that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, there's that that several times where it's just um I think it's gosh, and now I don't remember which one it goes to. Uh Jeff is handing the baby down to Cash and he says, Here, Cash, will ya help me with the right, boy yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that? And he says, You know I will. So he says it a couple times during the camp scene. Ah. So to see that at the end and, and to see them clasp their hands and everything and like that was actually good. So where them splitting up, you don't really feel as justified mm-hmm. them coming together. Absolutely. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. That's very yeah. true. Yeah. That was great. That was, it's just a, that was a really nice moment. Scene yeah. To, to end the film on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't actually end the film entirely. That's not the final scene <laughs> end of the, of the film, but close enough anyway. Mm-hmm. It's it's the most meaningful part at the end. Yeah, I was actually talking about kind of getting confused towards the end and everything too. There wasn't also an issue with me where sometimes I was just like, are we talking to Cash or are we talking yeah. to Jeff? There were times I really couldn't tell the two men apart. No, I had the same trouble. <laughs> There's a little bit of a graininess issue with this film. Um, their, their voices aren't, terribly different um and honestly the, the first time i watched it through you know i'm just watching it the second time i was watching it through i was trying to really figure out early on which one was which because i knew of course where bill ends up but i couldn't figure out which guy was which name <laughs> and so yeah they're they're not they don't look different enough the quality of the film isn't good enough to be able to tell really them apart at all uh, I mean, the, the really positive thing you've got going for you, the reason you can tell Rance and Bill apart is because, of course, we all know what Clark Gable looks like. And then they keep putting <laughs> William Boyd in the white hat. So, of course, you know, you know, he's the right, good guy. Well, yeah. But, um, yeah, the other guys, you, you just you kind of never know 
who who are they talking net to now? And who's this crazy drunk guy that everybody keeps laughing at? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he kind of comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because every western has to have the town because drunk. Because <laughs> alcoholism is hilarious. It <laughs> is absolutely. I guess it's like that's that's what you had for amusement in the eighteen hundreds. Alcoholics. I don't know. I don't have anything else to say about the film. I mean, it is just sort of a. Um, yeah, it's a movie we watched. It, <laughs> kind of, it happened. <laughs> it happened. Yeah. So you know, spoilers when it comes down to the uh, to the rating to the Othels. It seems cruel to give it a one, <laughs> but I just really can't. I can't really find any reason why I think anyone would really seek this one out. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair. I my initial reaction was to give it a two. But but it's also interesting to think this movie was made only eight years before, seven or eight years before Gone with the Wind. And if you compare those two movies, there's just a massive... Quality. Yeah, yeah. There's just a massive difference. At, at this point in time, you know, I was looking through movies in 1931 trying to see, okay, is there something you could compare this to that would tell you if this was a good movie or a bad movie for this era? There really aren't. I, I, Dracula came out this year. Um, but that, honestly, that has a lot of the same sort of weird issues that I would say this mm-hmm. film does too. You know, you've got characters who are like, wait, which one's that? You've got dead air because there's no score, mm-hmm. uh, you know, through it. Yeah, I, I'd say that's kind of comparable as far as quality goes. Yeah, so I think... Or at least as film, as, as the film technology and directing and everything, I'd say they're, they're comparable. Yes. So it's not... I don't think that this is a particularly horrible movie for this era. Uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, go out of my way to say, yeah, this movie was just a total junk movie and that's why they threw it out the window and why it's not under copyright anymore. I don't think that's the case. But I think that what happened was it was superseded by you know, the Hopalong Cassidy stuff. Then, of course, Clark Gable became a massive actor and, and mm-hmm. a leading man type guy. And, you know, nobody wants to see their leading man as a bad guy. And I think what happened was this this movie just kind of got, you know, rolled over by other films that came out later and just were, were genuinely better than this one is. So I, I'm not going to give it a one because we've had some movies that really genuinely you're like, why did anybody make this movie? This is a horrible movie. One is our lowest rating. It gets a one. This movie isn't that horrible. (laughs) Um, I feel like if you are really into old Western films and you're really interested in watching one that, that really genuinely does have some intrigue in it, there are definitely moments in it where you don't really know who the bad guy is. You don't really know who's messing with the mind and, uh, obviously now you do because you're listening to the podcast and we've already told you. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know as as the movie goes, it it does have intrigue. It does have some some interesting moments in it. So I'm not gonna I'm gonna give it a two, which was my initial thought. I wondered if while we were talking, if I might bump that up to a three. I'm not. <laughs> it doesn't. I don't think it deserves a no. three. But it's not utter trash. <laughs> That's the biggest compliment you can pay. That's horrible. <laughs> I could be convinced to give it a two as well. But yeah, it definitely would, doesn't deserve anything higher than that. You, know, you bring up a good point. Talking about just another less than a decade later, we have something with Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. And the production values of something like that compared to this. So you know, different. We're only a few years out from talkies. You know, at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, film is still in, in its infancy, really, at this point. But there's an amazing growth spurt from, like, this point on. The, and this is what I was looking for. Uh, the next year, they made the Death Kiss. They made Rain, which is huge. Yeah, see? Yeah, there you go. I mean, so I, I think if you go based on that, if you say, gosh, rain compared to this movie, yeah, this movie's a one. <laughs> I mean, it is. <laughs> yeah. Next year saw The Mummy, which, okay, yeah, not the best movie ever made, but one of the greats, you know? Mm-hmm. The Sign of the Four Sherlock Holmes movie. There there are a bunch that came out. I'm I'm interested to see, you know, even two years out, what, what came out in 1933. I'm 
King Kong came out in 1933. I really feel like the Thin Man movies started coming out right around that time. Um, There were some really good movies coming out just two years later, but two years is a long time in mm-hmm. in movie world. I mean, look at two years after The yeah. Matrix came out, everything had changed. Two years after Star Wars came out, everything had changed. Yeah, that I and I think that's what I was that's what I mean. It's like it 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 had a slow start. Like there was like this you had all you had the silence mm-hmm. and then you get to talkies, but the talkies were still I mean they were like they were silent films but with talking. Yes. You know, the the way everything was filmed was still like the way you you filmed silent yeah. films and then it's just it like it took a year or two for everyone to leave that behind mm. and then once they decided and or discovered that like oh wait we can do this mm-hmm. that's what it just took off like gangbusters yeah so this one really is right on that cusp where if this film was made a year later or or two years mm-hmm. later or i mean rko remade it five years later mm-hmm. Different storyline. I did look it up. It was a little Is bit it? different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but I'd still be curious to um, I'd still be curious to see that film and see what the production values were on that five years yeah. later, uh, compared to this one. So yeah, they there was definitely a huge growth spurt and a, a real boost in production values that take place just a little bit after this yeah. movie. And a movie like this, I really feel like needs those production values. Yeah, it really did. And maybe I'd have a slightly different opinion of it if I could go and see, and that's kind of why another reason why I want to watch you know, the 1936, The Painted Desert, is because I want to see the action scenes that, yeah. they were, that were cut out of this, because maybe I would give this film a little bit more credit on those production values if I could see some of that stuff. That, that's really fair. And if you take it the other way, too, and think about if the production values... Well, the production values... If you think about production values, comparing them with the silent film era, like if you take this and you were to take all the talking out of it and replace it with with dialogue cards, this is actually a really solid silent film. There's, you mm-hmm. know, they didn't have the time in the silent film era to do a lot of the action scenes and to do the the uh, emotional buildup that we're talking about. So, I mean, you might maybe be able to argue that having any of those really touching scenes in this movie is a huge step forward. Because certainly, I think in the silent film era, you didn't see that. It was a lot more pantomime, and you didn't get a lot of those touching, you know, drawn out. Because there is a moment when Cash is talking where that it's drawn out. The dialogue is drawn out. The moment is drawn out, and it's something that you really couldn't have done in a silent film. It would have been like, are is the movie still going, or did it break? You know, yeah, right. Especially with uh, William Boyd, who has a very particular way of speaking certainly in this film Mm -hmm. where he talks very precisely (laughs) and slowly like Shatner (laughs) (laughs) not quite but yeah no but yeah I think I think it's interesting I think you can go either way if you say hey this is a really solid silent film then yeah it's pretty good if you go how this is a really crappy talkie it is, but it, it it's interesting because I think if you really dug at it, you you could Citizen Kane this thing and say, wow, but this is the first time you saw this in a movie. This is the first time you saw that in a movie. And I think if we had, you know, infinite knowledge of film, we probably would find a lot of things about this movie that are really interesting that maybe haven't been done in other movies. As it stands, though, I still can't give it better than a two. All that being said. All that being said, <laughs> if only if only we knew yeah. more. <laughs> yes. The truth is out there. Surprisingly, we don't or we have not hit a whole lot of westerns <laughs> despite the fact that they were like the way to make a movie mm-hmm. for the longest time. We've actually managed to avoid a lot of westerns. <laughs> so it's still um so it was a lot of fun to actually get the get a chance to see one. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking, what are the other Westerns we've seen? The only one I can think of, and you'll have to forgive me, I don't remember what the title was, was the one, uh, the really early John Wayne one, where he started off. Uh, Stagebrush Trail. Yes. Sagebrush Trail? Or Sagebrush? uh, Maybe. Uh, Sagebrush, maybe. But he started off wearing black, and through the movie, he transitioned to wearing the white hat, which is such a great cinema, that's such a great cinema, cinema, 
cinematography tricks. <laughs> Cinematographic is the word I was trying to say, but um, but you don't have anything like that in this one. So I, I think no. I would pick the other one over this. Well, you could um, you could count what was the one with uh, Olivia De Havilland and uh, Errol Flynn. Oh yes, the one we don't Errol like to talk Flynn. about. <laughs> the, the, the awkward <laughs> social issues one yes yeah. uh, Santa Fe Trail I believe Santa Fe Trail there you go yeah that was a you could count that as a western technically yes yeah <laughs> yeah whereas I don't want to watch westerns all the time it was still a lot of fun to, to watch one I for agree. this and, yeah and certainly if you love westerns this is worth a watch yeah, and you get to see uh, a long Clark Gable. Yes. <laughs> you know, pre-stardom Clark Gable. <laughs> if you're a Clark Gable completionist, you should watch this. Yeah, what do you think about it? If you've seen a Clark Gable movie, then you've probably seen leading man Clark Gable movie. Yeah. You've not seen you've not seen the guy working for scale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Stumbling out of the desert with no horse to his name. Yeah, okay. Well, I don't think we have anything else to say about this one. Uh, Lydia, thank you very much for... Uh, saddling up and uh, riding with me through <laughs> well, this. thank you. Of course, it's always a pleasure and we always appreciate when you guys listen. Absolutely. We definitely appreciate you guys listening. Um, any feedback or anything, you know, all the contact information's there at the top of the show. Um, I guess that'll do it. I guess we'll be back in another month. I don't have anything else to say except, Lydia, thanks again. Thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.